Welcome to Data Hurdles, a weekly podcast where we explore the impacts data and technology have on our day-to-day lives. My name is Michael Burke. And I'm Chris Detzel. Michael, how are you today? Doing well, thanks. Oh, that's great, man. Hey, you know, today we're going to talk a little bit about reinforcement learning. So I'm pretty excited about it. How about you? Absolutely. Reinforcement learning in the ML space for me personally is just like one of the coolest areas of ML. And, you know, we'll dive into why, but um, I think we could let's just start there. Like, you know, what is, what is reinforcement learning? Let me dive into it. So reinforcement learning is the process of decision-making where you're the, the model is learning an optimal behavior in an environment obtained by a reward. And so what the heck does that mean? You know, if you think about a child and um, they're walking, they, they see a fireplace, right? You know, children are, are, are so drawn to fire and, and at the house, I know my, my child is, is always walking towards the fireplace, but, you know, the I've first always been times- drawn to fire, by the way, not to interrupt this but you know when i was a kid i was playing with matches by for for whatever reason the air conditioner inside and i got caught doing it in a lot of trouble (laughs) playing with fire so (laughs) anyway yeah well you know kids you know it's it's natural for them to want to explore and learn and fire is something new and as as a kid when you walk up to a fire it's warm right and comforting but when you first are experiencing what fire is you might not know the dangers of fire and if you walk too close to a fire, you get burned, right? That's right. And what you learn over time as a human who has nerve endings and feeling is that like, there's a certain distance that you can sit close to a fire without getting burned. And if you go too close, you get this negative reward or penalty. Hmm. And if you sit at just the right spot, you're nice and warm and cozy. And it's a positive response and a positive experience. And it's this you know, trial and error you know, and also probably of your parents yelling at you or whatever else that gets you exactly. to this point of, I know the right way to engage with a fire. And so if we think about what the heck is reinforcement learning, it's the exact same thing, right? It is a way to set up a problem or challenge for a machine learning model where you don't feed it any data or very little data. And it starts to learn how to interact with something through trial and error, right? Yeah, that's that's really great. How does all that work? Yeah, so to break it down, there's a couple different parts. There's the model itself, which we call the software agent. There's the environment, which is, it can be the real world environment, like that we live in the three-dimensional world, or it could be a video game environment. Whatever the environment is, the model is supposed to participate in. Is the, envi- is the area that it's acting in, right? So uh, we'll dive into that a little bit later, but for now, let's just think of it as the real world. Okay. Then there is the policy that the model or agent follows to take an action, which is like, what are the controls or options that it can do? Can it move forward, backwards, hmm. left, right? Can it jump? Uh, and then the reward signals are, what is it, if it takes an action, what is the reward it gets, right? Or how are those signals given back to the, uh, to the model? So you think in the example of a fireplace, the warmth might be a positive reward and being burned might be a negative reward, right? 
And so if you're trying to get a, a model to optimize, uh, to move to a position close to a fire, that's how you would control where it sits and ultimately where, op, you know, eventually where it optimizes uh, in its positioning close to the fire. So there's got to be some, you know, disadvantages and advantages using reinforcement learning. Any thoughts around that? Yeah, totally. So some of the biggest advantages are that reinforcement learning, and we'll dive into this with a few examples, can be used to solve super complex problems that traditional techniques just uh, require too much data or we don't have enough data on them to make these work. And if you think about a good example, it's like learning to walk, right? You mm-hmm. can say, well, learning to walk is easy. You know, as a child, you're learning to walk and you're on a carpeted floor and you've got to, you know, take steps from your mom to your dad or your parent to parent or whatever. But walking is actually something that's a lot more complicated as we grow and we explore and we do different things. You could be walking up a hill. You could be walking on ice, right? You could be walking on sand that's sliding under your feet or walking in the water in the ocean, right? And so, by the way, if, have you ever run on sand? It is like horrible. You know, the worst. It is really difficult. <laughs> I mean, really hard. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead. Exactly. And, you know, and most of us probably have not mastered walking in all environments, right? But, <laughs> but the, the thing that's, that reinforcement learning does so well is you can put a model that's trained to do this in any environment and it will start to adapt to its surroundings. Versus a you know pre-trained model or supervised model, you would need to be able to feed it examples of all these different environments to train a model to effectively walk, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it would just be such a harder problem. And if you're trying to make a rules-based system on that, it would be even harder, right? Because you'd have to encapsulate all of these different rules for different scenarios, what happens mm-hmm. when you fall, you know, all this stuff versus a reinforcement learning model figures that out automatically because it's driven by this reward system. You know, so it will slowly adapt over time to walking on ice if the reward is to stay upright. Right. Yeah, it's funny because uh and I'm gonna take it not to these really easy, simple things that you're doing, but like I work at a we both work at a company called Reltio. And there's these match, what we call match rules. And so you have to match every little thing that, you know, uh, that, that you're trying to do within the product. And so, you know, maybe using a machine learning like or a, you know, reinforcement learning kind of thing into something like that to where it does more of the matching for you would be kind of cool as it learned. I, I don't know, but I'm, it, it just kind of sparked my uh, thinking there. So I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and and again, like if you're trying to deploy something that um, is going to be experiencing different environments, reinforcement yeah. learning is one strategy which can really help to make a model intelligent in the way that it will adapt to its surroundings. And that's the big mm. takeaway. Um, some of the disadvantages, right, are that many reinforcement learnings kind of assume this uh, rule in how they learn, which is called Markovian, right? And what that means is that the probability of each event occurring in the world depends on previous events. So if you think about like how a model works, 
it has an action, it collects feedback and it says, okay, like if I take a step closer to this fire, if we bring it back to the ch children's example, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm within two feet, I'm warm. If I'm less than two feet, I'm getting burned, right? And it starts to learn that pattern based off of the previous movements it's taken either further away or closer to the fire. But in the real world, the fire could be changing. Like the fire could get bigger because your cousin yeah. just threw a bunch of gasoline on it. And <laughs> the wind you know, watch out, it's, it's now and the wind blows. And it's like, and so that life is full of this complex, unexpected volatility. Mm -hmm. um, and, and these types of models, although they can learn to adapt to some of this, it's not, they don't typically adapt as fast. If you think about how your body responds to a traumatic experience, as an example, right? We have all of these mechanisms to quickly adapt to things, like a rush of adrenaline, you know, and that changes how you make a decision um, in your life. You might be scared, or you might, you know, after experiencing something once, never experience it again, right? A model has to experience that same thing hundreds or thousands of times to slowly get better and learn about what is the optimum way to interact with that thing based off of a positive or negative reward. There was this uh, Mario brother example that I saw once. Um, and like you said, it took so long for it to learn. Once it does learn though, it's pretty phenomenal of, Hey, it actually plays the video game better than you can or anybody else right. can, or it finds these hidden things that nobody knew about or even could find but it found this hiccup inside Mario Brothers, you know, on the first level or whatever. But like you said, I mean, it just takes so long. And so when companies are trying to implement something like this and do this kind of stuff, they have to be patient, right? I mean, what's, I mean, it doesn't like, you can't throw 80 people at, you know, one thing and it just, it, it just uh, automatically appears or it automatically starts doing some really cool things. You can't really do that, I don't think. Well, it's interesting you said that because in, in an environment like Mario, yeah, you can to some degree, right? Um, because what you can do is this thing where you can parallelize the processes. So instead of having one Mario learn how to play Mario and walking through the game and making a mistake, you can have a thousand games running concurrently. Hmm. And so all thousand of those are getting fed back to one model, which is then oh. learning at an iteration of a thousand games per, per one game in time. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Mario case is so interesting because it's a controlled environment. And one of the things that was really cool that came out of um, that model, right. Is that if you train a reinforcement learning model on Mario, it actually finds glitches in the game mm -hmm. to be able to hyper-perform in the speed in which it can beat a level. So if you think about that, it's played the game so much that it knows that there are these small areas where there is a lapse in like the processing or a frame or a specific piece where the physics engine doesn't quite line up to the objects on the screen that will give it just that much more of an advantage to optimizing to beat the game in the shortest amount of time, right? Okay, um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so there's some really cool things that kind of come out of um, how these models work. And the combinations and patterns and minute differences that they can pick up on, which a human would never be able to find, right? 
Yeah. Because it would take you playing the same game, you know, hundreds of thousands of times to find those little minute details and differences. Um, you know, in another yeah. kind of, ch- oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Now, was there any other disadvantages that you could think of or that you was on top of your mind? Or yeah, we- I think that one of the other things that where you start to see reinforcement learning models not perform as well is if they have an overload of the number of states, which means that like, which can really diminish the results. Like if you've got a uh, version of Mario that's just has so much volatility in it, right? It will, the model will start to kind of overgeneralize its approach mm. versus Mario in the game itself right, is very um, simple, right? You've got to move a character to the right and yep. get to this flag eventually, right? But if, if things were changing within the game every day, enough was changing, the model would actually struggle because it would have to generalize all these different states to get to an optimized outcome. Um, you know, if you think about like our everyday life too, right? We make decisions. And when we make these decisions, we're taking in hundreds, if not thousands of signals that are, you know, we're not actually considering when we make a a decision, but we might subconsciously be making a decision based off of hundreds of thousands of other little things that have added up in our experience and whatever else. Um, If you were to overfeed a model too much of that detail, it can lead to these kind of generalizations which don't work as well. Then if you were to say, these are the top parameters that you need to tune for, focus on this, that's where active or reinforcement learning really does well. Yeah, uh, that's really good. Um, yeah. What are some, you know, we've, we've given one or two practical kind of examples, but what are some other practical applic- applications of reinforcement learning? Yeah, so I think that most of the viewers, or at least I hope that they've seen some of the cool stuff that like Boston Dynamics has put out. If you've heard of Big Dog, it's this giant robot that learns how to walk and you'll see it like marching around on different surfaces. Uh, Now they have robots that are dancing and doing backflips and stuff like that. These some military-like robots doing some stuff. Exactly. I mean, you may have also seen like these mechanical arms um, that are uh-huh. used in assembly line factories that are building like, um, you know, cars or assembling cars. They also have like, there's an ad of one big brand that's playing ping pong against a world ping pong player, right? All of this, mm-hmm. a lot of this is being used is using reinforcement learning, right? In order to make these models smarter over time so they can analyze their, uh, a target within their environment and do that task that they're trying to complete better every time, you know? And if you think about even something simple, like a assembly line, the variables that can change, even in a controlled environment can still have a big impact on what you're trying to do. Like in welding, for example, and I'm totally making this example up, but you know, (laughs) it may be that the humidity or other variables within the, the manufacturing company affect the way that you weld and you might have to change your strategy to make a high quality weld like that's an area where a reinforcement learning model could slowly learn that over time um another really good example and this is like the the coolest example was uh google's AlphaGo. if you've seen that um and if you don't know what go is it's a board game it's one of the oldest board games that's ever existed right and how it works is that you and a competitor place these black and white stones on a grid. 
And the goal of the game is really to surround a larger total area of the board with your stones, right? And if you think about this, just imagine a giant grid with a bunch of stones and, um, you know, the reason that this was, uh, what Google did is actually beat, you know, as a spoiler alert, they beat the world champion of Go, um, which was thought to be an, an impossible machine learning problem before Google accomplished it. And the reason was is that the number of possible moves in this game Go are estimated to be more than the number of atoms in the universe, right? So if we just think about oh. the problem space of how complex that would be, there's no amount of data that you could collect to train a model for every circumstance, right? Yeah. And what Google did, along with many other strategies, they used reinforcement learning and deep learning in combination to actually take real life examples of people playing the game and the strategies that those players have taken to train a model that was better than the world champion at Go, right? And this this event, which you know, in the like tech data space, was huge, right? But I don't think the general public really knows about it. it took place in 2016. So that was a while right? back that they started doing a, all this. Yeah, seven years ago, which is crazy, <laughs> right? Um, and so, what this really was, and why it was such a big milestone, was the complexity of a model to run and be able to come up with a strategy without knowing all the possibilities of a game like Go yeah. had not been done before to this degree, right? So it was a huge undertaking and really a huge boost for reinforcement learning and deep learning. Yeah, you gave some really good examples of, you know, games and things like that, you know, and, uh, and, and I love it. And I, I think that's key to try to trying to understand all of this stuff. It helps me understand it better. Certainly appreciate that. But how does, you know, th that game that you mentioned, uh, uh, Apollo Go, you know, was five, six, seven years ago, like you said. What are some things that are being done now? You know, I mean, they must have made huge advances, not just Google, but others, you know, in this field with robots and things like that. But anything that comes to mind off, you know, right off to kind of. Think about like what kind of advances that they made. I mean, we've looked at ChatGPT, ChatGPT four, you know, all these things. But is that part of it or not really? Or you know, what's the? Yeah. So if you want to take it to a real life example of yeah. things that reinforcement learning can be used for today, and again, reinforcement learning on its own is typically used with other types of models in combination. Yeah. It's not typically used on its own in in the real world, right? But um, one of the biggest areas that I've seen utilization of these types of models is for wargaming in the military, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, the number of parameters you need to understand the strategy of war, there's, there's millions, right? If not yeah. billions and understanding a strategy for how you can position and strategically place vehicles and aircraft and ships around the world um, to achieve certain objectives is a really complex problem, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that this is done is through this kind of wargaming simulations, right? Where you can run these strategies around, well, what would happen if? And things like that are one area where this type of deep learning and reinforcement learning can definitely be applied and I'm sure is being applied in, in many spaces.
Um, Another area that's that's much more simple and happy is like cart recommendations, Mm. right? When you think about Amazon, when you go to make a purchase and it says, well, why don't you also buy this, right? This bundled approach. All that is done with reinforcement learning, right? They're taking one object and they're saying, okay, well, they have no idea what these objects are and how they pair together, right? But a model has looked at it and said, users that buy this object are also buying this object, Mm -hmm. right? And so let's recommend them in a recommender engine at the point of sale. And so there's a ton of stuff like that. And if you look at your everyday life, if you just think about what are the types of problems that you wouldn't necessarily be able to collect enough data on to train a model in every area, that's a great use case, or at least a potential use case for a reinforcement learning model. Fascinating. That was really good. Did we miss anything? I don't think so. Any questions that you have, Chris? No, I think I've already asked them all. <laughs> so, you know, this is this has been a really great, I mean, it's short and sweet, but uh, it was very informative to me. And, and I know it's going to be informative to our audience. So, Michael, thanks so much for bringing your expertise to another Data Hurdles. I'm Chris Detzel, and I'm Michael Burke. Thanks for joining in. Thanks, Michael.